0: well good morning that depending on how you read that text might sound a little bit strange uh, but we're going to deal with some of these issues today so we'll return to that text from first John chapter 2 in a few moments Uh, before we do you know I think the advent and the growth of our social media use in many ways is redefining how we view or understand something as basic and Ordinary and everyday to our lives as friendship. My guess is that many if not all in this room Have described an acquaintance you have with these words Yeah, we are Facebook friends Is everybody willing to admit that? No, most of you are I've never actually Met the person or maybe we've seen each other face to face just a couple of times, but we are Facebook friends and I think those platforms, those social media platforms, um, lead us to believe that we really know somebody because we are invited into at least a small portion of their lives every day through something like a few Instagram stories. So we know a lot about that person. We know how old their kids are. We know about their recent employment changes and maybe even something as personal as some financial difficulty They are experiencing, we we definitely know about the recent vacation they were on. But I think it's gotten to the point where if you run into an acquaintance out in the wild, like the wild being not on your phone or your computer screen, if you run into an acquaintance out in the wild, you really have nothing to talk about because all of those casual conversation pieces are pointless. You know all of the answers to the questions you would typically ask already because you follow their lives through a screen. And yet we all understand that you can really know a lot about a person and still lack relational intimacy or friendship. And that's fine. Social media platforms still serve a purpose even if that purpose isn't always deep friendship. But I think one of the dangers in that is that we slowly begin adjusting how we view friendship, what we define as a friend. Now, I bring this up today because James is continuing his conversation about discipleship, which is largely what this letter has been about, right? It is about learning how to live as a follower of Jesus. And in the text we're going to cover today, he frames the conversation about discipleship really in terms of friendship conversation about discipleship, in terms of friendship, friendship with two opposing subjects, because he's going to argue that you can either be friends with God or you can be friends with the world, but he argues you can't be both. That sounds extreme, and if it sounds extreme, I think we need to dig a little deeper into that and understand what he's saying. Now, if you remember the text we covered last week, James talked about covetousness as the source of all of the petty conflicts with one another that we have and digging deeper into that idea, he continues to develop that thought in the text today by arguing that the root problem in all of that, so if the arguments and fights and conflicts that we have with one another, if the source of that is the covetousness within us, the source of that, so taking it a step further, is a friendship problem. He says, we have become friends with the world to the detriment of our friendship with God. So this is what we're going to consider this morning. We're going to pick it up where we left off last week. James chapter 4, we'll begin reading in verse 4, where he says, you adulterous people. What a way to begin. He's obviously not trying to make friends right now. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. You adulterous people again he is pulling no punches here you have been unfaithful so he's arguing that the covetousness that is present in their hearts which is leading to all of the infighting in the community it's all revealing that the people have other gods. So this is a symptom of misplaced worship to a large degree. So let's think about that a little bit today. You know, throughout the Hebrew prophetic tradition, the idea of coveting was closely connected to idolatrous worship, It was closely connected to the undue elevation of created things to a place of supremacy and devotion. Or the entire purpose of our lives centers around that created thing. And James says, when you covet, this is what you're guilty of. He says, you're guilty of pursuing friendship with the world at the expense of your covenantal relationship with God. Now, some might protest, wait a second, I thought we were supposed to be friends with the world, Right? I thought we were supposed to be developing relationships with those who are far from Christ. Aren't we supposed to develop those relationships? And not with the motive of converting somebody, but with the motive of simply being a good friend and allowing Christ to do his work. And that's a fair point. I think that's something that we need to consider in light of this text. Our motivation in friendship with others is not to convert Our motivation is friendship. And yes, we do believe that as individuals and as a community, we are on mission. I mean, one of the reasons for our existence as a community of faith is that we would engage in our surrounding culture. And we always emphasize the point that we want to engage in our surrounding culture through a posture of advocacy and friendship. So if we are trying to engage with Actual people in our culture through a posture of advocacy and friendship, is there some tension between that ideal and what James is arguing for here? Probably unsurprisingly, I don't think there's tension because I don't think that's what James is talking about here in chapter four when he speaks of friendship. He's not proposing that being friends with those who are far from God makes one an enemy of God. And I think if that's the conclusion we reach, we are completely missing the point. So to understand this distinction, I think we first need to consider what James might have in mind conceptually when he talks about the world and what he's thinking of when he speaks of friendship. So what's in his mind when he's talking about the world? What's in his mind when he speaks of friendship? Because, I'll admit, upon first glance, this statement in verse 4 seems pretty dualistic. It seems like James is arguing, well, there's the material or the physical world over here, and then there's the spiritual aspect of life over here. And the material world is bad, needs to be avoided, while the spiritual is good, and that's what we need to pursue. I think it's important to understand, as New Testament scholar Luke Timothy Johnson notes, that for James, this dualism that is obvious in verse 4 is not a metaphysical or a cosmological dualism where the physical world is bad, the spiritual world is good, but he says rather it is a religious or an ethical dualism. So what he means by that is this. He goes on to say that it is not the world as the place of trees and cities, which is the problem, but the world as a system of untrammeled desire and arrogance. It's not the world as the place of trees and mountains and cities that James is talking about here. And I think this is a helpful distinction for us to keep in mind. Because God and the world, which is God's creation, God and the world are not opposed to one another. It isn't the physical world. It isn't nature, mountains, and streams, and cities, and heaven forbid, people that we are trying to remain ritually separate from. Rather, those two worlds only stand in opposition to one another insofar as they are different measures of valuation. And I don't know if a verse like James chapter 4, verse 4 is where we get that standard evangelical suspicion of care for the creation. I think it probably is originating from a place like this. It's the idea, well, there's no point in caring for the world or caring for creation because this is all going to burn up. This world is going to be destroyed and we, are, of course, are going to escape to heaven by the skin of our teeth, which I don't really know what that phrase means, but you get the point. The earth is all going to be destroyed. It's going to burn up. And what is more, it's not that great anyway. I mean, the world is the problem, right? This is the thing that we are trying to rid ourselves of. We don't want to be friends with the world. It's not something that we should care for. It's something to shed. And I think a text like this almost portrays the world, the physical creation, as the enemy, if we understand it like that. But again, I think that's a misunderstanding of James' concept of the world. So I'll emphasize this point, that God's creation is a good gift. It is a good gift to be embraced, to be enjoyed, to be cared for. The, the physical world of, the, uh, of trees and streams and mountains, that is not the enemy. But the systems of value that the world often operates under This is what James is arguing is an evil to be resisted. So that's how James is envisioning the world. How is he understanding friendship? Because this is the other key component to understanding the point he's making. Is James talking about friendship like we often define it culturally, where casual acquaintances are considered friends? You know, where friendship is reduced to mere sentimentality or maybe to a vague feeling of affection that you have for somebody else. I think it's obvious that James has something much more intimate, something much more fervent in mind. When he speaks of friendship, he's talking about things like duty and loyalty and faithfulness and all of those descriptors. For James, friendship impacts our identity. It changes who we are at our core. So Friendship with the world is not appreciating or enjoying the created order. For James, friendship with the world is devoting our lives to systems of value that are opposed to God's systems of value, if we want to borrow Johnson's language. So in answering the question, how do we as the church and how do we as individual followers of Jesus, how do we relate to culture? How do we interact with culture, with our world, with individuals that we come into contact with? A world that is in many ways undeniably out of sync with many of the core teachings of the faith we are a part of. There are a lot of different approaches to engaging culture. We've talked at length at times in the past about Richard Niebuhr's five approaches to developing a theology of culture And one of those approaches that has been popular over the last century or so is Christ against culture. Christ against culture, where it's an either-or approach. You can either love and follow Jesus, or you can engage with culture. But you cannot do both because they stand in contradiction to one another. Some of you have probably experienced this, maybe in youth group or something. If you were instructed or encouraged to burn or break That new cranberry CD, or that new No Effects, or Not a Surf CD. Uh, Obviously, there's too much specificity in there to deny that this is autobiographical in some nature. (laughs) So this is therapeutic for me. But I mean, that was an influential approach to culture throughout much of the 20th century, and I think this section in James is part of the reason why. We can't go to these movies. We can't. Engage with that type of art because that's the world and we don't want to become too friendly with the world But I don't think James is arguing that we ignore or flee from culture That it would be better for all of us to Commit to the rigors of ascetic spirituality and move off into a commune together and create a completely separate society That sounds awful, right? I'm just joking It doesn't sound awful. I'd love to move into a commune with you. (laughs) Not really. (laughs) Can we edit that out of the podcast? It's the idea that we shouldn't engage in culture at all. If we're going to be separate from the world, if we are going to keep from being friends with the world, we need to remove ourselves from it. I, I think that's a misguided approach to the world. However... Unfortunately, in an overreaction to that unhealthy extreme, I think at times we end up or we are tempted to live as though the values of the kingdom are no different than the values of the world. And this is what James is pushing back against. James is saying, no, embracing friendship with God while we seek to remain unstained by the values of the world, that is the essence of discipleship. This is what the Christian life is about. We are trying to move from one way of life to another. While remaining embodied in a particular culture that we exist in, we're trying to move from one object of devotion and love to another. From one kingdom to another, from the way of the world to the way of Jesus. So as we read in our scripture reading a moment ago in 1 John chapter 2, The instruction was, do not love the world or the things in it. Do not love the world or the things in it. Again, not the mountains and the trees or nature in general. I think it's obvious if you've spent time enjoying nature that that actually leads to a deep, deep place of worship. But don't love the systems and the values of the world when they stand opposed to God's plan for creation. I think the picture of discipleship that James has painted since the beginning of this letter not only makes room for an interaction with culture, but even sees value in that. Becoming a disciple of Jesus is not removing from culture, but remaining embodied in that culture, and in that culture, switching our devotions, following hard after Jesus. So we've talked about friendship with the world. What about friendship with God? Because this is the other idea that he presents in this verse. We're still in that first verse, so it's going to be a long day. You know, one of the remarkable things about the biblical witness is that we are not only considered servants of the God that we believe created everything that exists, but we're also considered friends. And this is not just something that we find in the New Testament, but it was a reality since the beginning of god's self-disclosure to humanity the most notable example of this of course is probably abraham who is explicitly referred to in various places as a friend of god this idea pops up all over the place in the old testament we see it in a seemingly random spot like jehoshaphat's prayer in second chronicles chapter 20 and it just keeps surfacing we even find it in james's letter we covered this A couple of months ago where James argues that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness and he was called what a friend of God this has always been a part of the story of God and God's interaction with his people because this is central to who our God is God is a God of relationship and friendship God is the creator and Lord of all yes God is our master, of course, but God is also a friend. In John chapter 15, as Jesus is teaching his disciples, and we're going to return to this particular part of John 15 in two weeks, but he's in this lengthy farewell discourse that covers several chapters in John's gospel, and he's teaching the disciples that they are to love one another as he has loved them. And then he goes on to say this. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. No longer do I call you servants, but I call you friends. These are the words of Jesus. Now what does it mean to be a friend of God? Some of you may remember that popular worship song in the early 2000s. Anybody? I am a friend of God. No? You want me to keep singing it? Maybe that will ring a bell. No, I have this problem where I can't think about that song and not stop playing it in my mind, which for me is really unfortunate because I never really liked that song, so it just starts playing on repeat in my mind. If you liked that song, that's... I'm not trying to speak... Well, yes, I am. Because I think as a result of a hype song like that, when you couple that with our general cultural shift towards a pretty lackadaisical vision of what friendship is, it's easy to begin misunderstanding what friendship with God is and to begin thinking that friendship with God actually doesn't place any demands on us. But even if we look at the words of Jesus, friendship with God places serious demands upon our lives. It is intimate. Friendship with God is connected to and affects our identity. It isn't just, oh, well, we have these things in common. We look at the world in the same way. We hate the same people or something like that. Hopefully it's not that. But we are in the same tribe. Friendship with God is much different than that. It's much more than that. Because friendship with God is not defined in the same way that friendship is often thought of today where it is reduced to something like clicking the confirm or accept button in a social media app. Yep, I'm friends with that person, even though I don't know anything about them. I do know that they had tacos for dinner, so that has to count for something, right? But, but I think, uh, Stephanie loves tacos. But, but I think a lot of times that's how we begin viewing friendship with God but but we have to understand that friendship with God if uh, according to the biblical witness is not just a positive feeling about God friendship with God is not just self identifying in a survey or in an exit poll as a Christian friendship with God actually changes us it changes us or else it isn't the type of friendship that is associated with Christian discipleship This is what James goes on to say in verse 5. So finally, we've made it out of the first verse of this section. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says, he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace? Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Jealousy of God. It's an interesting concept that may not seem fitting because jealousy is associated with sin. But I think the interpretive key here is that imagery that is used throughout our scriptures that depicts God as the spouse to his people. And the jealousy that is spoken of in relation to God is not the jealousy in a junior high boy when his girlfriend starts flirting with his best friend at the Friday night football game in 1998. Again, there's too much specificity to (laughs) deny the fact that that is autobiographical as well. But rather, it's the the type of jealousy that comes from an understanding that any flirtation, if we want to use that word, any flirtation or friendship with the world is necessarily going to pull that person away from God. In his famous sermon, Matthew chapter 6, After explaining that storing treasures up on this earth is pointless, and I misspoke earlier about John 15, that's not the text we'll return to in two weeks, this one is. So forgive me for that. We're going to deal with this text in more detail in two weeks. But he says that storing up physical treasures on this earth is pointless because those treasures don't last. They might be destroyed because they're made of a physical material. Moths might eat them, or rust might destroy them, or... A thief might steal them. So it's pointless to spend our lives storing up those treasures. And then he goes on to say this in verse 24. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other. Or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. Then he ends the thought with this. You cannot serve God and money. Or... To use James' language, you cannot serve God and the world. You can't be friends with both if we are talking about a friendship that involves our identity and is centered around our systems of value. James says that's impossible. We continue in verse 7 in James 4. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. It's really getting encouraging, right? Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. So I think this has a lot to do, actually, with how we pursue friendship with God how we keep ourselves from being unstained by the world, by an unhealthy friendship with the world, begins with submission to God. We submit to God. We put ourselves in a position to develop and nurture that friendship. And as we do that, James argues, we, in effect, resist the evil one. We resist, to use that Hebrew concept, we resist the Satan or our accuser. So James mentioned earlier that, this, that our sinful impulses, that those come from within us. Those come from those evil passions that are waging war inside of us. But now he brings up the idea that there's also this supernatural element where we do have an adversary who intends on destroying us. And he uses this concept to further underscore the opposition of the world with the ways of God. So in this text, we've established that friendship with God is foundational to our spirituality. And if that's the case, I want to argue this morning that that is a relationship that has to be nurtured in a way that brings us closer to our friend. And I think in that way, it's similar to other relationships that we have. If you want to become closer to a person you are in relationship with, you have to put yourself in a position to nurture that relationship. I mean, think of those who are closest to you, maybe a spouse or a dear friend or a child. You don't grow closer to that person by just trying to muster up stronger emotional feelings for the person. You go cl- closer and your emotions are strengthened as you engage in concrete actions of service and through time spent with that person. I think what we make space for In our lives determines the friendships we are nurturing and I think that applies to our spiritual lives as well what we are making space for determines if we are pursuing friendship with God or friendship with the world so if we want to continue becoming disciples of Jesus if we want to grow in our friendship with God we engage in disciplines that make that possible because it's not just going to happen If we just leave it to fate and go through life and hope that in the end we have been drawn closer to God, chances are that's not going to happen. But there has to be an intentional decision made. So here are some of the things that James lists, just real quickly. He says we cleanse our hands, we purify our hearts, we practice repentance, we turn from our friendship with the world, We turn from our patterns of sin. So he quotes Proverbs 3 there. The values of the world that have shaped us to a large degree. We turn from those and we weep over the damage that that has done to us. We weep over the damage that that has done to others through us. We humble ourselves before God and we trust that in his time and in his ways he will exalt us. Let's wrap this up today by reading just the last couple of verses in this section verse 11 he says do not speak evil against one another brothers the one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law but if you judge the law you are not a doer of the law but a judge there is only one lawgiver and judge he who is able to save and to destroy but who are you to judge your neighbor So the whole idea for James of friendship with the world versus friendship with God is a part of a larger conversation that he has been having about relational turmoil within the community as a result of the people's envy and their covetousness. And he argues that those characteristics that are present in your relationships and in your heart, when that is all present, it reveals that you are still far too friendly with the world and that your system of value is in step with the world system of value rather than our creators. So this really is all about the direction of our lives. Where are our lives heading? Who are we running to? Who are we running from? Who are we drawing near to? Who are we fleeing? Who are we pursuing friendship with? And I think the question I want to leave with all of us is are we neglecting that friendship with Jesus? Because if we're neglecting that friendship with Jesus, we are inevitably going to be pulled away from our creator, and we're going to end up in a place where our lives are defined by the, va- the, the system of value of the world. Would you stand this morning? As we prepare to take communion... I want to reiterate the fact that the statement that James made, draw near to God, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Pursue friendship with God. Sit with Jesus. Sit with Jesus. Allow that relationship to shape you. As we come for communion like to say a prayer for us oh God you have prepared for those who love you such good things as surpass our understanding so pour into our hearts such love towards you that we loving you in all things and above all things may obtain your promises which exceed all that we can desire through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Would you join us at the table this morning?